everyone, welcome to Disrupt TV. My name is Vala Afshar, Chief Digital Evangelist at Salesforce and your co-host for the next hour. We welcome you to follow us on Twitter at Disrupt TV Show. Please send us your questions using hashtag Disrupt TV and Ray, myself, and our distinguished guests will do our best to answer your questions. It is my pleasure to introduce my co-host, Ray Wong. He's the CEO, founder of Constellation Research, a regular contributor to Harvard Business Review, ZDNet, and Forbes, and the author of best-selling book, Disrupting Digital Business. In my humble opinion, one of the top futurists to follow on Twitter, at RWANG0. Welcome, Ray. Hey, thanks a lot. I'm here with my wonderful co-host, Vala Afshar, the Chief Digital Evangelist of Salesforce, but more important, one of the top CIO and CMO influencers in the world, and more importantly, an author himself, and of course, a practicing social evangelist. So that's who we have on our show. We've got some big names this week. What are we talking about? What's going on? Ray, our first guest is the reason why you and I can actually have this conversation on the internet. It is such an honor for us to have Vint Cerf as our first guest. Mr. Cerf is the Vice President and Chief Internet Evangelist at Google. He contributes to global policy development and continued spread of the internet. Widely known as one of the fathers of the internet, Mr. Cerf is the co-designer of the TCP IP protocol and the architecture of the internet. Uh, President Obama appointed Mr. Cerf to the National Science Board in 2012. Mr. Cerf is a recipient of numerous awards, too many to name in the limited time we have. But the awards include U.S. Presidential Medal of Freedom, U.S. National Medal of Technology, the Queen Elizabeth Prize for Engineering, and so much more. You can follow Mr. Surf on Twitter at VGCRF. Welcome, Mr. Surf, to Disrupt TV. Well, thanks so much. I really am looking forward to this part of the show. <laughs> hey, thanks a lot, Vint. Uh, a question for you, and, and this is really big. We want to talk about the People-Centered Internet Coalition. And... As you know, this is, as people may know, that this is something really big, near and dear to your heart. Um, what inspired you, Mailing, to co-found this? What drove you to say, we really need to do this? Uh, well, I hope Mailing uh, will fill in some of the blanks. But uh, uh, frankly, I think we believe that uh, while the internet was spreading around the world, uh, in many cases driven by business interests, the important point for people-centered internet is to make it useful to people, to make it benefit them in some measurable way. And so our purpose is to identify uh, opportunities to either follow the spread of internet, make it more useful, make information more locally available, local languages and things like that, maybe benefit people in terms of their health or well-being or ability to work. Uh, so the point here is to encourage people who are uh, advocating the implementation of infrastructure to support internet to also pay attention to the applications that sit on top of it uh, in a way that is uh, helpful in a, in a social and economic sense. And so, so that's really is, what's driving us. So this is democratizing access? Is this making it equally available to folks? Is it um, all the above? Like, where does it fit? Well, in fact, it's beyond that. I mean, I think clearly, if we're going to have any beneficial effect, you have to have access to the underlying infrastructure. But what we're after is the application sitting on top. What can we do with this infrastructure in order to make lives, make people's lives better? And so uh, we brought we brought on David uh, uh, Bray, who is the executive director, in order to help us actually uh, find, uh, isolate, identify, and take action. Uh, either on our own within the organization or simply to advocate uh, and to facilitate action by others. 
Uh, we have, I should have mentioned Dr. David Bray with us live. So David, please feel free to chime in as you see. But as I listen to you, and, and it's incredible that without your invention, without your contribution, we wouldn't be able to have this live conversation with four or five different individuals in four or five different locations around the world. And this is all about large scale change. As you talk about bringing the next four billion people on earth onto the internet so that they can take advantage of these applications, how do you effectively make change happen when it requires large adoption? How do you create a condition for success? So the honest answer to this is that you learn how to sell your ideas. And if there's a one-liner in this that to, for people to take away, it's that you won't do anything very big if you can't convince other people they want to do what you want to get done. And so once you start learning to sell your ideas and to motivate people, uh, that's when you have an opportunity to make something big happen. So I told my engineers, the first thing you need to learn how to do is not write a piece of code, but learn how to sell your ideas to other people. Now that's, that's very, very great advice. So, um, so I, I think a good question to, related to that is as people are selling those ideas, I mean, what would a more people-centered internet look like? And what can folks do to volunteer and assist that vision, the vi vision of that? What required? So how do people get an idea to the people-centered internet and in terms of pitching an idea that might transform uh, those lives that we're talking about? Well, you could certainly go to the website, peoplecentered.net, uh, and, uh, and, and post your ideas there. Uh, you can also track any one of us down. Uh, my email is well known. It's vintagoogle.com. And uh, I got a lot of email and lots of ideas from people who would like to see the internet do more. Uh, I actually think that uh, we should also invite Maylin and, uh, and David to react to that question because they are key parts of this small but hyperactive organization. David, your thoughts? Yeah. Well, yeah, David, your thoughts? So I, I guess, you know, when, when Vint made the offer to, to join the People-Centered Internet as executive director, uh, I think for me it was compelling because in our world of rapid change, it's going to take a networked community of actors to bring about that change. It's way too easy to point out things that are broken, be angry about it, be frustrated. It's harder to then figure out how do you mobilize and actually bring difference to whatever community you're interested in. And so this buys into the vision that both Maylin and Ben have, who was actually the inventor of the mouse and gave the mother of all demos, also had this vision, which is technology can bring people together and mobilize them in terms of forms of communities to bring about positive outcomes. And I do think I want to emphasize the positive bit, because if all you're doing is just getting angry on the internet, that's not really the type of outcome we're looking for. I think what Vent, Mainland, and all of us are looking for with people centered internet is, how do you see something? And then as Vent said, how do you actually share an idea of how it could be better and then demonstrably make progress forward? And so part of the goal of PCI is we can provide either expertise, we can provide top cover and support where possible, even though we're sort of small and currently growing, we may be able to help link you and get funds for it. Uh, but PCI, uh, at PCI underscore initiative on Twitter, if you have thoughts, peoplecentered.net, you can subscribe to the newsletter. As Vent mentioned, you can also send your comments through the website. Uh, we are open to ideas, and we want to hear what people have to try and make a community that actually is using the internet to improve people's lives. 
That's, oh, hey, thanks a lot, David. And, and we've got some questions as well on Twitter. If that's okay with you, Vint, we're going to start with some of those. There's some very sure. interesting ones. Right. We got one from Harshal Chaya uh, at H-S-C-H-A-A-Y-A. And his question is, what's your biggest aha moment when you saw something online thanks to your work? Well, to be frank with you, the, the most dramatic of things that happened uh, is the arrival of the World Wide Web because it clearly democratized not only access to information, but the production of information. Uh, so watching this avalanche of shared content show up, uh, people generating this, not because they expected to be compensated, they just wanted to know that their information was useful to someone else, uh, led to uh, just a tremendous amount of information flowing into the system and of course that eventually led to the need for uh, search engines because there was so much stuff in this ocean that you needed help finding it and one of the key important things about the internet and the World Wide Web application is the possibility of discovering other people and their interests uh, that you happen to share and that's one of the things that the people-centered internet hopes to accomplish using this vehicle is to help people discover other people with whom they might want to cooperate in order to achieve an objective. That's amazing. Another question from Twitter, and, it, and multiple folks asked this question, uh, and it was regarding the impact of artificial intelligence in how AI, whether it's machine learning, natural language processing, deep learning, will shape the future of the internet. What are some of your thoughts regarding the impact of AI as it relates to uh, the, uh, the future of the internet. Well, uh, first of all, I, I am an optimist in this space. I believe that artificial intelligence methods, machine learning, and so on will be used as tools to augment our ability uh, to do things. When you do a Google search, although you're not necessarily using a lot of AI, you are using a huge amount of horsepower in order to do something that no human being could do on their own. And that's a search, you know, bazillions of websites and pull up information that you're looking for. Uh, when it comes to machine translation, for example, we've come a very long way. I get emails from people in multiple languages. I end up with websites in multiple languages. And that machine translation is augmenting my own weak capacity to translate from one language into English. So uh, we are using artificial intelligence on a regular basis, sometimes almost hidden from us. Uh, I don't see the, or, or feel nearly the scary uh, views that some people have been uh, expressing about artificial intelligence. At the same time, I'm not prepared to discount the concerns because uh, the big worry people have is autonomous software, software that's running on its own, that doesn't have a person in charge of it or in control of it. And when you mix that together with AI methods, uh, you may end up with a piece of software that makes mistakes. And those mistakes might have uh, serious consequences. So the big worry there is not so much the AI, but the autonomous software and the care that we have to take to make sure that it doesn't do something that is harmful. No, that's a great point. Um, we got another question here, Vint, uh, from B. Siddhartha. And he basically asks, um, the internet has opened up uh, access to students like me to unlimited opportunities in poor countries, but it's still difficult to get on. How do we solve that problem? Uh, well, in this case, I think technology is our friend here. We're driving costs out of the devices that are needed to get onto the net. I mean, when Google produced the Chromebook, for example, I think it made a fairly important contribution to a reduced cost but very powerful device. 
So over time, I think we'll see costs coming down for the equipment that you use to get access to and use of the internet. And second, I think the cost for access will also come down, at least we hope so. Uh, one way to achieve that is to encourage competition, which means that we need to encourage uh, countries to adopt rules that in fact invite competition and drive costs out. Uh, so those are the sorts of things that we really have to do. The digital divide is largely an economic one. And in order to overcome that, we need to drive the costs out. Sure. My final question, um, what advice do you have to change agents who want to be bold and think big and invent something as, as impactful as, as, as your work? Where should they research? Should they find a mentor? How do they create that mindset of thinking big and being bold and really, as the late Steve Jobs would say, put a dent in the universe? Uh, well, I suppose you could follow the Jeff Bezos career and see about thinking bold, build the biggest bookstore in the world. That's why he called it Amazon. On the other hand, uh, a lot of us, including me, didn't start out to change the world. We started out to solve a problem. And it just happened that the solution to the problem had application in a much broader space than the one that we were focused on. And so if you really want to make a big impact, first of all, you should go after a problem that you think would make a difference if you could solve it. And you know, focus on that. Solve the problem. I often tell a little parable about the pebble and the boulder. So I'll take a moment to do that. Please. Imagine that you're living in a little town. It's in a valley. And uh, it's surrounded by mountains. And there's this giant boulder up on the top of the mountain. And one day, you notice that the boulder is about to roll down the hill. And it's going to destroy the village. Now, you know that you can't run up and stop the boulder because you know, you're too small and it's too big. But you're smart. And you know that if you find a pebble of the right shape and you put it in the right place, it'll divert the boulder. So that's your job. Find the pebble that will divert the boulder and then make a big difference. So it's looking for the pebble, not another boulder to collide. That's the secret. <laughs> Wise advice from Vince Surf. We are talking about positive change agents and the people centered in it on this week's Disrupt TV show. You can follow Vince Surf at VGCERF. He's one of our Constellation Connected Enterprise keynotes of 2016, one of the top people when you think about the internet. And as he mentioned, Google him and you'll find out a little bit more than, bio, than Bala's short bio today. <laughs> so, so Vince, thank you so much for being on the show. We know you've got limited time, but we really thank you. So. Well, thanks so much for having me on the show. I hope the rest of it goes well also. Thank, thank, you, you, well. thank you so much. It's been an honor. It's been an honor for sure. Wow. This is, people ask why Fridays are our favorite time of the week for Ray and I. Um, this is why. And uh, certainly our next guest, uh, you know, we just spoke to one of the founding fathers of the internet. And some would argue our next guest is uh, one of the founding mothers of a CRM. <laughs> so so uh, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that uh, we can get uh, May Lynn's icon uh, to go live before I do the intro. Uh, but uh, our next guest is... Yeah, but while she's doing that, let's let's quickly do a quick intro, of David, as well as he's floating here, jumping in. He's kind of our, he's kind of our. Yeah, we we forgot to bring him on board in the sense of um, getting some context. And as many people know, let's do a quick run through of David's bio, and then David hop in, ask questions, and bump in. We're changing the format, as you see. We're going to be 
try experimenting with formats as we get into 2018. And this is one of our first tests as well. So, so uh, we have David with us throughout the show. Again, David, please chime in. Dr. David Brace, Executive Director of People-Centered Internet Coalition. He's a visiting executive in resident at Harvard University. Um, this, he, another person that had a tough time shrinking the bio. So I'll, I'll, I'll share his bio as we go with our guests, but there's more to come from, from David. And now we have um, our next guest, Mailing Fung, founder, co-founder of the People-Centered Internet, uh, chaired by uh, Mr. Vint Cerf. Uh, Mailing is the founding unit coordinator for California's Health Medical Reserve Corp. As an early pioneer, Mailing co-designed the first CRM system at Oracle, working with folks like Mark Benioff and Larry Ellison and Tom Siebel, uh, so again, pioneers of CRM. Uh, she has served as a socio-technical lead for the U.S. Department of Defense Initiative on Future of Health, and she's also the member of the Digital Economy Society World Future Council of the World Economic Forum. Mei-Ling has served as vice chair of the Internet Inclusion IEEE Subcommittee, one of three tracks under the IEEE Internet Initiative. Another amazing follow, because we only invite folks that are amazing on Twitter on our show, at M-E-I-L-I-N-F-U-N-G. Welcome, Melin, to Disrupt TV. Welcome back to Disrupt TV. Thank you, Vala. Hey, thanks a lot. Last time we had your show was episode eight, March of 2016. And you were also on that wonderful panel this year with us as well as at CCE 2016. So I want to talk to you a little bit about the People Center and Vint kind of set the stage talking about his vision. You're on the other half of it. Why did you co-found it with Vint? Um, and how do we bring communities together? So let's start a little bit talking about that and then we'll drift our way into talking about some cool work that's going on in Puerto Rico as well. And then David, please jump in as well. So. Wonderful. David mentioned Douglas Engelbart. Douglas Engelbart was the second nerd on the internet. Vint Cerf was the first nerd at Vint at UCLA, Douglas Engelbart at SRI. I had the honor to be um, a business partner for Douglas Engelbart from 2000 to 2004. Very, very few people have had the privilege of working with these people whose minds really are looking forward. They call it the loneliness of the long distance thinker that was used to describe Douglas Engelbart. And he devoted his life to say that we have to work in community. He was so aware of the power of what he had unleashed with bringing the mouse and um, uh, windows and all of this stuff, the, the modern user interface came out of the brain of uh, uh, Douglas Engelbart and was expanded upon. He's considered the father of human computer interface. And he was so aware of this power, he said, we have to gather in community because the, this, the power is so great that the ultimate power could corrupt ultimately for any individual. And only in community can we balance our individual agendas in such a way as to let our human instincts for survival prevail. And when I went to Vint to say, we really need to bring back that spirit of network improvement communities, Douglas Engelbart's original ideas, which in fact were pivotal for expanding the internet from the appinet, um, we need to bring that notion back in. The idea of the internet of the people, by the people, and for the people, um, he readily agreed, and, and we moved forward, and that's why we founded it. So was the was the main catalyst community building? Is 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 that the reason you've founded uh, People Centered Internet? 
I think it was community building in the face of a threat. And the threat is what I saw with CRM. I, as a young, idealistic pioneer, thought, imagine if technology could support relationships. And um, that was what started CRM. And then, then I watched it being used by companies to help managers get their MBOs and to achieve goals that actually were counterproductive for customers. It took CRM 15 years before the word customer centricity came up. So this is, this is a problem. And so we know with the internet that it's very likely to go through a cycle like that. By founding the people-centered internet, we raise the flag that we have to be people-centered and do it now before half the world, the remaining half of the world is connected. And Tom Malone of the Center for Collective Intelligence said, um, only once in all humanity will we be connected in the global brain. And wouldn't it be terrible if the global brain was connected for advertising? It should be because of improving people's lives. <laughs> How, how prescient he was. Uh, <laughs> so, how do we get out of that? So, question for you though as well. I think a lot of folks want to know um, how 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 many, you know, at what times in your life have you felt the need to step outside of expectations and 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 take this change agent role? Like, what do you do to convince other people that this is the path? Let's, let's as, as as you were saying earlier. I actually started this whole path when I was fourteen years old. I, I, I really was struck by what was going to have technology was going to do to society. I just read, as a 14-year-old does, 1984 and Brave New World. Now, standing in the aisles of the National Library of Singapore, where I grew up, and Singapore itself is going through a tremendous transformation, even as I grew up. And the rate of change in Singapore made me aware that technology was actually going to change society. And that in my lifetime, we would have a fork in the road. And we needed to have people to step up and say, there's the right way to go, and not just the way of greed and power. And that the internet, which was just being invented then, uh, was a way kind of connecting us globally would allow us to thrive. And we have to stand up for that. So how do we how do we keep those ethics? How do we keep those values in the internet uh, of of keeping it open, of keeping that access available to everybody? What what can we do to to help promote that? So, so we have an effort right now underway in the people centered internet to do the Marshall Plan for Puerto Rico because we have to demonstrate that technology, in fact, can do all these great things that all of us talk about. Imagine if you could do this. What what about if you do that? taking Engelbart's direction that we have to work in community, we are working with the network of community health centers, 81 locations in Puerto Rico, and working with those communities to understand their strengths and their needs and working to respond to that instead of coming in as some white knight savior. We have the plan for Puerto Rico. We don't have the plan for Puerto Rico. We have a plan to help the people of Puerto Rico make this an island that they'd always dreamed of, and that can play a big role in the digital economy of the world. Yeah. We had, uh, we had uh, one of the things that actually I'd like you to share a little bit about is sort of 
you have this amazing passion to bring different people together. And in fact, uh, that's what you've, you've done for both what we're thinking about with doing in Puerto Rico. And like you said, trying to actually go to the communities and ask them what they can do. Could you share a little bit more about your vision and, and Doug Engelbart's vision of actually sort of the network of networks and why change going forward is going to be much more of a networked activity than just an individual activity? So few people know, but the US actually has the largest working network of improvement communities. And this was started in 1995 within the US Department of Health, the most unlikely place, you might say. But under the radar, the federally qualified community health centers put in place a community governance. 51% of the boards of every federally qualified community health center has to be patients. Think about that. Which hospital has a board composed of patients? None. The community health center clinics, by having this governance, which is totally around the people they're expected to serve, they have formed a network assisted by the Institute for Healthcare Improvement. And over 22 years, they have developed a signature process of improvement, improvement science. They go through six month cycles of plan, do, study, act, and then compare. Did it work, did it not work? The ones that didn't work, learn from the ones that worked. These breakthrough collaboratives allow a complete shift from the top down notion of, imagine, a CEO says, diabetes, if you do stuff on diabetes, I will recognize you and reward you, and if you care about something else, who cares? Well, with Breakthrough Collaboratives, you can link 10,000 locations, and everybody who cares about diabetes can work together. Everybody who cares about asthma can work together. They have a, 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 a ladder of um, where first you take 10 patients and apply the best practice, then a hundred, then a thousand, and then one hundred percent of your patients. So by doing this across the country, you're really learning and looking for ways in which to improve. And then the best thing is when you get to the gold standard, you have to write a handbook about how you got there. So that means there's no one best practice. You know, communities with lots of young children or older people or racial diversity. They have other different ways to get there, but they write it up. So that's the example. Absolutely. You know, when I think about David Bray, he exemplifies that. He did that when he was a CIO. He's, he's recognized as the most social CIO in the world. So it's all about giving and educating and inspiring. So congratulations for having him join the PCI initiative. But as you look to, as a co-founder, recruit companies, communities, individuals, what are some of the attributes you look for? How do you find you know, advocacy and folks that are like-minded to join this movement and not just bring accessibility to the internet, but also overcome the anger and distrust and misinformation that's online and really create a movement that's motivated by you know, be, doing, doing good? David, I think, was being asked. No, so you want me to, sorry, it sorts out. Well, I would say movements begin, as Vince said, you have to set the vision, and that vision is actually, more often than not, informed by listening to the community first and foremost. You can't come in and, as Mayland said, you know, we're not out to plant the flag and say we have all the answers. In fact, we know we have blind spots. 
we just have a passion and are eager to try and play a role to help out. And I often think the best leaders say, how can I help as opposed to follow me? Uh, I think then once you've done that and you've listened to the community, it's the art of working towards a shared goal. Uh, uh, it's been shown with the MIT Center for Collective Intelligence that if you don't set shared goals up front, then the diversity that actually can actually be beneficial, unfortunately, pulls people apart. Yep. And I think, look at our world right now, what's happening both in the United States but also abroad. The failure to set shared goals is meaning that our different views on the world, which is actually very valuable, is unfortunately pulling us apart, and that's actually some concern I have with the internet. I think then the last thing you need to do is once you set the vision, you set the shared goals, then it's about asking how can I empower and how can I help people move forward and, and actually tending to that. Because action is going to happen at the edge. If you try to centralize things and do it in a centralized coordinated fashion, you won't be as responsive and not be as adaptive to the needs that present themselves. And that's something that I think with PCI, we really see ourselves as being that network, help with bringing together people, listening, helping to set shared goals, and then work to empower the edge in different contexts to measurably improve people's lives using the internet. Sure, sure. And Maylene, and what's the biggest surprise that something you didn't necessarily anticipate in this journey of, 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 of co-founding PCI? Yes, but when, when you actually talk about networks and communities, people come. Let me just explain what has happened to me as we talked about the Marshall Plan for Puerto Rico. Did you know, for example, this is all stuff I learned, that Puerto Ricans are one of the largest um, groups in the US military. And so we have a tremendous diaspora of Puerto Ricans who have tremendous training and ability to actually respond to this crisis. That was one. Did you know that, you know, that there's actually the largest public Montessori network of schools in the country is in Puerto Rico. So there's all these surprises. When you look at any one community, you might dismiss it because, you know, it's far away. People go there for the beach. And then you look at Puerto Rico and you say, this is amazing. These people are fantastic and so terrible that they're neglected. They, they're, they're just like us. They need all the opportunities of the mainland US and we need to give it to them. So that's the biggest surprise for me that anytime I dig into any community, I find the amazing gifts and talents of the people there. And I'm always blown away. Wow. We were talking here with Mailing Fung, co-founder of the People Center Net, the godmother of CRM. You can follow her on Twitter at Mailing Fung. Uh, let's see if we have any more questions. We had a question here actually on Twitter that actually came through to me. And, and I think the question really is about um, in Puerto Rico and what you're seeing in terms of the efforts that are going on, how much of it is, you know, hype around the news? How much of it is real? Um, how have you been able to discern like what people really need and, and how to get people back on the feet? So I mean, the, the news is not covering how lack of power and how that has stopped things working. It, imagine if you didn't have an ATM, or restaurants couldn't collect credit cards. How would you pay for your meals? How would the restaurants? All of that has stopped in Puerto Rico. With lack of power, ATMs and credit card processing doesn't work. Plain loads of money, I hear, are being flown, cash because it's moved back to a cash society. Uh, that's not in the news. That, that, so the, the kind of difficulty that a, a, a 
place that has depended on electrical power experiences where 80% of the island loses power is incalculable. Oh, wow. that's not in the news. No, things that aren't in the news people should be knowing about. So definitely very, very big uh, points here. So David, I, what's, oh, go ahead, Vala. Look, I, I asked a similar question of uh, Mr. Surf in terms of, uh, you know, where do you get your insights? Uh, you know, of course you are, the, as, as Dr. David Bray said, an ultimate connector, networker. You inspire so many of us, but you know, where, where, where is your source of news? Is it, is it social media, books, meeting with people? How do you stay informed and, and stay so inspired to do the work that you do? My network is my news. Wow. I, I kind of worked out, I mean, I was really, really early on this. I did email before there was email. In 1979, me and my husband were sending JCL messages over the mainframe computers when we both worked at Shell Australia. So I really am a true pioneer in terms of using email. Um, so, so when you have that so young and right from the beginning, you start to realize you don't have to have everything in your head. It doesn't have to be all owned by you. If I need to know something, I know who to go to. And that's how I work. So. Wow, this has been great. Hey, Maylene, thank you so much for being on the show. Um, you can follow her again at Maylene Fung, M-E-I-L-I-N-F-U-N-G. Um, you can follow the PCI at uh, PCI underscore uh, initiative. Um, you can connect um, in all different ways. We'll keep posted as to what's happening, not just in Puerto Rico, but as People Center Internet takes hold. So thank you so much for being on the show. My pleasure. Bye. What, what, what an incredible inspiration to all of us. Uh, and uh, again, uh, just an amazing individual. Uh, you're very fortunate, uh, Mr. Bray, for uh, having the opportunity to work with these extraordinary uh, and compassionate uh, thought leaders and, and folks that are solving real problems. Um, so speaking of change agents, David, um, our, 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 our last guest on our show is is also a public servant and a change agent. We welcome Teresa Bohr to our to, to Disrupt TV. Teresa joined the federal government as a public servant in 2011. While her primary role focuses on IT policy and strategic planning, her work extends well beyond her official role. Talking about working outside your job description, you have a perfect role model here. Uh, Teresa has been featured uh, speaker across government and private industries, sharing her experiences and encouraging accessibility and inclusion, particularly in the IT space. And we'll start by asking Teresa in terms of her definition of, of, of inclusion and diversity. Teresa has been actively engaged in activities to promote inclusion of persons with disabilities. Uh, in 2011, she spearheaded the establishment of a blind and low vision resource sharing group called Three Blind Mice and continues to lead the group today. Welcome, Teresa, to uh, Disrupt TV. Hey, Teresa, thanks for being on the show. I think you're on mute. If you can unmute yourself, that would help um, and jump in there. And while you're doing that, um, I'm going to ask you a question, really talking about um, how you've been a positive change agent um, uh, since your early 20s. Um, you've been doing some great stuff, uh, starting with three blind mice. Let's start there. So, Let's see. Am I unmuted now? 
You are. You're perfect. Okay, good. <laughs> I had some technical difficulties getting on. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, from the beginning, you know, my life took a big change when I was in my 20s. I went from being fully sighted to being, um, being blind, essentially overnight. And it came with such a learning experience for me of, you know, approaching things from a different way that I never knew existed, or I knew existed in theory, but uh, was never able to get there conceptually. Um, so telling people about that journey, but also encouraging that part of innovation, think outside the box, think about how people who don't interpret information in the same way can utilize it. Um, and, and that's kind of exciting. You know, we talk about artificial intelligence. Well, what can that do for these different communities? And, um, and particularly when it comes to absorbing information and getting information and, uh, and how do we include all sorts of people in all sorts of places? Um, so I think, I mean, I think there's, there's so much opportunity there. And with technology growing at the rate it is, you know, that creativity, who knows what it will lead to. Right. And, and, and so, you know, it's, it's when you hear companies and organizations talk about inclusion and diversity, um, you know, what is your definition? I mean, I, I, I saw you, I saw one of your uh, keynote address um, and you talked about the largest population, largest minority population in the U.S. are people with disabilities. And yet, you know, when I hear companies talk about inclusion, I don't often hear inclusion defined in terms of disabilities. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that? And whether there's a change in terms of a company's mindset? Sure. Well, I think that it is often a population that is overlooked. Um, in terms of, yes, the population of persons with disabilities is the largest minority population in the US. It's a population that will continue to grow. And what I always say when I talk about diversity and inclusion of disability is the one categorization that doesn't discriminate. <laughs> it stretches across all ages, all races, all sexual preferences, religion, whatever it is, disability will include it all. And a lot, and what people don't know is most disabilities are acquired at some point in your life. So it's not necessarily something that you're born with, but you acquire. And getting people to realize of it's a matter of when. Right. The longer you live, the more likely that you are to acquire a disability, uh, whether it's some type of minor hearing loss or some type of vision loss. Uh, you know, di disability um, by the ADA is defined in many different ways. Uh, and it's really any impact on a system of your body. Sure. That influences how you live. So, you know, it's a very wide definition but it's really just including all people. Um, you know, one of the one of the most famous quotes uh, from Tim Berners-Lee uh, when he was talking about the World Wide Web is the power of the web is in its universality and access by everyone, regardless of disability, is a central aspect. What's going on in the world of um, you know web access and uh, accessibility and web design and applications? What's what's being transformed as we speak? So it's interesting. Uh, 
there on both the public and private side, things are changing. Um, certainly in the public sector, there were, uh, the federal government is um, subject to the laws of section 508 of the Rehabilitation Act of 1973 as amended, um, not to get into too much uh, jargon there, but those standards are increasing the actual usability of technology. It's not just saying, okay, here are some definitions, you have to meet these guidelines, but let's talk about the usability of it. Are these things usable? Not just compliant, but usable. I think in the, uh, in the private sector, what we see are companies that are thinking, this is a marketplace that is underutilized. Uh, I, I always think that, you know, in business, you have to talk dollars and cents. Where's the money? Well, when you open something up to a population, the largest minority population in the US, then your market is expanding. So companies like Apple, uh, like Google, that are integrating accessibility into their products from the beginning hmm. are making a huge difference. I'm here, you know, I'm on my iPad today. It has voiceover on it. You, things like that, that I can just buy something, same as everyone at the store, and make it usable for me. Absolutely. So one of the things that uh, Teresa and I have, talked about and actually impresses me with Teresa's view of uh, both improving uh, the community of different needs, but also thinking about how this can actually be compelling and actually help bring both the private sector and the public sector along is, you've talked a little bit about, Teresa, how if we make things accessible, it's also accessible for us to helping machine learning and AI, and it's also accessible for people that may speak a foreign language. And so I wonder if you could like share a little bit more about that as well as like the pitch to why the private sector should care. Well. Yes, uh, in terms of AI, in terms of machine learning, in terms of accessibility in general, things that are accessible to everyone, they're more efficient to use. Um, they are for everyone across the board, whether you have a disability or not. I mean, everyone refers to curb cuts of, curb cuts initially were made for people with disabilities, but guess what? We all use them. If you're riding a bike, you have a stroller, it makes life better and easier. Uh, in terms of different languages, certainly, you know, there are a lot, there's lots of translational software and, and being able to connect with people in different places. But again, AI and machine learning are things that can, that can help us bridge that gap. Yeah, but just getting started too. I mean, there's some great stuff, right? Alternative text for images have to be in play, keyboard input, transcripts for audio, like all these basic things are, are being put into play. And, and the AI part is actually just starting to, to create, craft that change. Now, as you can tell, this is our episode on change agents. It's the holiday season. Um, so talk about what motivates you uh, and, and what, what gets you to be a positive change agent. So how do you go out and, and recruit other folks, bring those folks in there? This is something that... Uh, I know you're passionate about, David's been passionate about, that's actually what's pulling this whole show together, uh, is really talking about change agents on this episode, so. So, I talk a lot, um, <laughs> and, uh, and my husband sometimes thinks that I talk too much, but that's a different story. I think part of it is that willingness to share the experience. People are always afraid of saying the wrong thing, uh, asking questions, or, um, 
having a conversation about a topic that might be sensitive. Hmm. And for me, yes, I know I'm blind. I, it's not that I always want to be answering questions about that because that's not all of me, but I have taken on this role of let's start a conversation. Let's start with hello, which is how you start any conversation. And let's go from there to talk about the hard things. Let's get it out there. It's an opportunity for everyone to learn. And if I feel like if I don't share that, if I don't share what I've learned on, you know, in my journey over the past 12 years, then what good is it? What good is it? I mean, my views of the world have changed so drastically from my experience uh, and for the better. And a lot of people don't understand that. It's the, you know, I feel sorry for you. I'm so sorry that happened. Well, guess what? I'm not because it makes me look at things differently in a more creative way. And, um, and getting that across to people, it, I mean, it sparks some very interesting conversations and it can be a lot of fun. You have to, you have to be able to laugh during in life. It, that's how I approach things anyways. Um, so having that opportunity to, to talk and start that conversation is really how I have uh, created a movement. That's fantastic. Um, yeah. I mean, we've been talking about networking from the founder of the internet to founder of CRM and, and now talking about being a change agent. And I fundamentally believe networking is about giving. So the common thread in terms of people that are change agents in my life, in my work experience, have been people that give without expecting and get. So who are your mentors? Who, who are some folks that you go to to, again, continue to stay teachable, continue to amplify your voice? And uh, as Mr. Surf said at the beginning of our show, uh, refine that ability to convince people to to uh, to to want to learn more about your ideas and and where you see uh, companies and communities and society needs to go in order to be more inclusive and more diverse. So I think certainly David has been a friend and a mentor of. Um, I've known, I've known him for about seven years now, I guess, and uh, meeting at the next generation of government leaders and then continuing to uh, collaborate on different things um, has really been helpful. And listening to his perspective, I think as a leader, he has a different approach than uh, many other CIOs do. And I had the privilege of working for him at the FCC for a bit. Um, but it is, you know, I think you take learning from all different angles. Um, also, uh, Dr. Tony Fauci is uh, certainly a mentor of mine, uh, an unexpected mentor um, and you know, listening to talk if to him talk about his passions and what he's doing and the realism as well of those conversations of he can tell me he's going to cure AIDS and I can tell him, oh, my parents got new puppies. And, and it's that type of thing where <laughs> it doesn't always have to be a cerebral conversation, even though that's often what it is. But making those personal connections, I think, 
helps to say, okay, we are all normal people at the end of the day. And what do, what are those threads that we have in common? I, I watch your work ethic or um, I watch these amazing achievements that you've done. And then I would say the other, the other mentor and the person that I aspire to be like is my mother, who uh, is a, an absolute, um, well, she's, I mean, she's just an angel. She's just wonderful. And watching her, our personalities are incredibly different. I am extroverted. She is introverted. Um, you know, the, she's very stoic. I'm very expressive, but there are things about her and those qualities that I admire so much. Uh, and taking a moment to sit back and just listen to others, I think has been where I get most of my mentorship. Awesome. Change Agent Insights with Teresa Boer. We are here with a public servant change agent as part of our theme here. She's not on Twitter, but don't take that for lack of being expressive. <laughs> so, but uh, hey, thanks a lot for sharing your insights and, uh, and really about uh, you know, what's, what's going on with uh, accessibility and uh, other areas. So thanks a lot for being on the show. Thank you, Teresa. Thank you for having me. Thank, Thank you, Teresa. Wow. So, so David, every guest we've had so far has given you kudos. So you're, you're, doing, you're doing something right, my friend. <laughs> Keep up I, I, I'm just honored to know each one of them. They are, they are truly <laughs> positive change agents, and I'm just honored to know each one of them. Well, you know, this is something I should have said at the very get-go, but uh, we knew we had Mr. Surf with us only for 15 minutes, but a proper introduction, as most of you probably know uh, Dr. David Bray, if you've been watching Disrupt TV, uh, he has been named one of the top 24 Americans who are changing the world under 40 by Business Insider. He was also named Young Global Leader by World Economic Forum uh, from 2016 to 2021. He's accepted a role as co-chair of IEEE Committee focused on artificial intelligence, automated systems, and innovative policies globally, and has been a visiting executive resident at Harvard University. He was named the most social CIO in the world, and uh, he's uh, an absolute must follow on Twitter at um, C-H-I-E-F, Chief underscore Ventures, V-E-N-T-U-R-E-S. David, you're, just summarize the, the three extraordinary guests we've had. What, was, what are some of your takeaways from um, you know, uh, uh, Mr. Surf, Mayling, and, and, and Teresa? Sure. Well, I mean, again, truly amazing lineup that you've had on Disrupt TV, and, and as always, truly appreciate the, the conversations you foster, uh, both Fala and Ray, on uh, Disrupt TV. I'd say with Vint, really hearing him share that it's not about the technology or the engineering, it is about the idea and how that idea helps galvanize others to come and join sort of the movement, that it's not done by one individual alone. And then hearing from May Lynn, sort of the, the amplification of that, the idea that it is networked collaborations and it's learning network communities across that. She gave the example of Imagine, and in fact, it is the case that uh, hospitals can actually put patients on their board, and so then you actually have it being led by the community as opposed to more of a top-down approach. And I think that's sort of the vision we have with people in Internet, and that's why I joined uh, when they made the offer for me to, uh, to, to take that on. And then Teresa... I think she, she is just a wonderful example of someone who has had something unfortunate happen and chosen not to let that be sort of what defines her. In fact, if anything, she's getting out in front of it and using it as a force for good 
to help others understand why this is important. That you know that any one of us, as you mentioned, is either one in four or one in three of us will possibly get a disability in our lives and we'll have to address it. And so that to me is the idea again of it's 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 so easy now. Unfortunately, in some respects, especially with, and as much as I use social media. It's easy to feel like if you click on something, either giving it a thumbs up or a thumbs down, or you like something, that was enough to be an action. And I would say, in some respects, that has distanced ourselves from how real change happens. Real change happens, as we heard from Bent Maylin, that it's about people connecting with other people, having the empathy um, to understand that it's okay to have different views, and that those different views will actually help move the organization forward, move the team effort forward, if you let that inform what you're trying to do. No, that's a great point. And hey, one of the things I wanted to talk about was the fact that, you know, we keep complaining about leaders. Where are the leaders? Where are the next generation of folks coming from? And, and what's going on and why this doesn't work? And, and then suddenly I'm sitting in a room with folks and, and we're all having this conversation. This has been going on for like the last probably six months. And we realize something. Holy crap! We're the ones that are supposed to make the change. <laughs> it's our, it's on us, right? And it's one of those big shifts that's, that has happened. Like we are the folks in the room. We're like the, we're like the old guys in the room now. And and and, and what do we do to inspire that kind of leadership? Um, I'm sure that hit you as well, even though you're, you know, you're you're one of the younger leaders that the folks are talking about. But but if you're going to make that change, it's going to have to be on our ends. What are we doing to do, get better at that, right? What, what what do you see? People are headed in that direction to. To not just be a positive change agent, but, but to lead through that process. Right. Well, I think the challenge is, is the nature of leadership is changing. Uh, that, that as a result of the internet, and that's why it was so great to have both Ben and May Lynn here and, and also Teresa, it's, it used to be you'd have a single figure try and press down top-down change. Now, the reality is they had lots of people around them, um, but it would be that one figure, it would look top-down, and it would be enough because the world wasn't changing rapidly. Mm. But because now the world is changing rapidly, that, that fails. You can't have a single top-down view. The other trouble, though, is, too, I hate to say it, in an era of 24-7 news and the Internet, we shoot down anyone who actually tries to effectively lead. We, we, there, there's always going to be someone else that's like, well, but they didn't do this. It's like, well, nobody's perfect. That we're all human. I mean, there's a wonderful Harvard Business Review article that I love to quote. It's in praise of incomplete leadership that we actually admit that we have blind spots. But now it's gotten so easy to do armchair quarterbacking and say, well, why didn't you do this or why didn't you do this? And we kill anyone who has a chance of making effective change. And we, we, we've, we've lost that empathy of change is hard. You are going to get friction. And so, at least from my perspective, I try to provide that safe space in which people can learn, they can make mistakes, they can go from there. I'll take the flack if I have the opportunity to take the flack. I often say I'm a human flak jacket. <laughs> but I'm worried because if, if we continue to shoot down anyone who tries to make a positive difference and we, we just sort of point out all the things that went wrong, we may end up with a world that doesn't have any effective leaders and instead only has people that are only focusing on either just themselves and not the community or there's just a vacuum. And so that to me is why I do people say internet, partly and also because I just adopted, my wife and I, we adopted a newborn baby boy and I wonder what does the world of 2030 look like if it's these trends that is, again, while the internet helps bring us together, it also risks, if we're not careful, pulling us apart, too. Sure, sure. No. I, I, was at, uh, I was at MIT yesterday. They had the, the forum on AI and business, and um, uh, Tim O'Reilly was uh, the final speaker at the conference. 
And he talked about and he encouraged, and we're in a room full of CXOs representing the biggest companies in the world um, at this event. And he encouraged all of us to think about solving real problems, focus on the, the benefits of emerging technologies in terms of really making a positive difference. And I think in his new book, he talks a lot about that. And he referenced a bunch of companies that are, that are role models. You know, you are you know, focusing on technologies like AI and expansion and better use of internet and applications on the internet, working with, again, founding fathers. Um, and so what are you focusing on for 2018? What, is there a particular area where you're gonna spend your time and energy maybe linking these new emerging technologies to really solving meaningful problems? Share some, share some of that with us. Sure. So, uh, and I agree completely with Tim O'Reilly. He's a friend, and I agree with his view that we've got to solve problems that really matter. Uh, and sometimes I see, I feel like all we're doing is trying to get you to click on that ad one more time or something like that. And that to me, is, I mean, it's not to dismiss that. There's value in that. But could we actually set some really ambitious goals that can actually improve the world? And so with people-centered internet, we're just getting started. Uh, you know, we've got mainly a lot of volunteers. And, and of course, like all things, the volunteers want to go in different directions. I often feel like my role is taking Vince, whether he's the left brain or right brain, I'm not sure. But he's a pragmatic <laughs> engineer that wants to make this proof of concepts. May Lynn is the much more visionary connector. She's running up in front. And we're like, OK, OK, well, we'll get there. But let's make sure we have the capacity to respond. So I often feel like my job that. She mentioned what we hope to do with Puerto Rico, and again, that'll be informed by what Puerto Ricans on the ground say they need. Uh, we're also, Vince, very passionate about Native Americans, uh, that they have not gotten the connectivity to the internet that the rest of us have. We still have a, I mean, we obviously still have half the planet to connect, but if we can't even address the challenges here at home, that's something that Vince is passionate about, so we're going to try and do that. Uh, and then also looking at with the wildfires that are happening in California that are just recently happening again, people have lost their identity documents. And apparently, on average, it takes four to five years to restore, whether it's your social security card, your birth certificate. And even worse, they mail it to your home address, which, if it burnt down, doesn't help anybody. And so can we use a combination of working with local governments, technology companies, and individuals to make this a better way forward? And so that said, people send internet, even though it is a for-benefit and we're moving forward and working with nonprofits, it's a lot like a startup. Uh, and so it'll be informed partly by what we can get sponsorship and support for, as well as what needs present themselves. Um, if I could, sort of as a synthesizing closing, I, I was listening as we were going through here, and one of the things I like to do is I often think of that, that conversation is almost, it's like jazz, that everybody brings their different melodies to things and everything like that. And so I wanted, as I was listening throughout, I wanted to try and give sort of like a final refrain uh, as a haiku, if I can give you a haiku for Disrupt TV about what we heard from our three different speakers here. So this is off the cuff. This is this is truly improv, but you know, <laughs> nothing venture, nothing game. So here it goes. Networks can help bring together diverse ideas and communities of different people, sometimes quite boldly. Each of us can be positive change agents and help improve the world. Woohoo! Live wow. <laughs> poetry stomps at FFO <laughs> with David Bray. <laughs> <laughs>
Awesome. Awesome. Bravo. Excellent. Well, what a way to cap the year here. Um, thank you so much, David, for being on the show. Mailing for staying on. Teresa for being here. And of course, this is the change agent episode. Thank you, Ray. Thank you, Vala. As always, what you do is a great service and truly appreciate it. Thank you, sir. Look forward to crossing path in person next year, for sure. For sure. Thank you. Hope you have a great holidays. Take care, everyone. You as well. You as well. Take care. Wow. Well, if it's Friday, it's Disrupt TV. This is uh, the second to last show for us. Uh, we'll have our last show for Calendar 17. Next week, we've invited uh, media, media thought leaders. We have Larry Dignan, uh, Chief Editor at ZDNet, Heather Clancy, uh, Chief Editor at Green Biz, and John Reed, co-founder, chief editor at Diginomica. And so Heather, John, and Larry will talk about, you know, big things that happened this year, big things that will happen next year. I promise we won't spend too much time on Bitcoin. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, it's going to be an, an extraordinary end to over 200 guests that Ray and I have interviewed on Disrupt TV. And, you know, um, it's, it's just an honor to spend our, 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 our Fridays with you. Closing remarks, Ray. Hey, it's going to be the recap of 2017, but more importantly, you're going to check out our new format as we're going to test it out uh, for 2018 on our last show in 2017. So, hey, everybody, look forward to seeing you on the last show, December 15th, so on Disrupt TV. Bye, everyone. Mm -hmm.